Welcome to the Cracked Pots podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And this past week, we talked about the conversion from Saul to Paul on the road to Damascus. And it's a fairly, I think, familiar story, I hope so anyway, of... Paul, who is breathing murderous type things towards the disciples, is on his way to Damascus to go and, uh, at the very least, arrest, if not kill, uh, uh, the disciples of Jesus. And, of course, gets blinded on the road on the way by Jesus and then uh, is taken in. And a man named Ananias is told to go to him and heal him. And the crux of my sermon was basically how hard it is to love your enemy, um, you know, to go towards somebody and, and be asked to show kindness, hospitality, and healing and love towards someone who was actually coming to town to kill you. And, and what, what it takes to overcome that fear and overcome those, that anger. I mean, there has to be anger involved, all that kind of stuff, because uh, we know that, that, that Saul, we'll call him for the moment instead of Paul, we know that Saul was at the stoning of Stephen, approved of the stoning of Stephen, probably gave the order for the stoning of Stephen, and has been on this mission to basically destroy Christians. Yeah, he had he had a good hit list, a good uh, a good kill list, um, quite lengthy. So his reputation definitely preceded him. Um, and let's just say it wasn't a good one. It was uh, it was a long list and a lot of atrocities. And so the name when when Saul was coming to town, you. As a Christian, you would not have been uh, eager. Uh, you would not. You have. You would not have rolled out the welcome wagon um, to greet him, to say the least. Yeah. And you know, in my sermon, obviously, you can only kind of focus on one element. So I focused on Ananias. I focused on on his, the way in which he had to kind of overcome all of his fears, prejudices, etc., in order to go to Paul and show love to Paul. And I think the part that also astounds me is that the Christian church then embraced him. And I'm sitting there thinking what, how, how that transformation for, from Saul to Paul had to have been so authentic and so real because most of us, let's face it, when someone who's been like totally against us and, and wanting to hurt us and that kind of stuff suddenly says, oh, I want to be one of you now, you kind of go at that with a little bit of skepticism, at least initially. You know, you kind of have to prove yourself and prove you're not there to be <laughs> a troublemaker or a spy or whatever and, and how to trust someone in that kind of a position. So, okay, so what is the book of Acts? Because this is, this is a story from the book of Acts. Correct. So the book of Acts, or Acts of the Apostles, is sort of, sort of laying out the, the foundation, the, form, the formative years of the church, right? Correct. 
Yes. Um, score. So the church accepting Saul converted to Paul is a, a formative key in the church, right? So it's not just you know, the formation of the church isn't uh, as much theological doctrine and liturgy as it is um, embracing how, the other. Embracing the other and how the church lives out its call in the world. You know, so in, in mission development, uh, which is building churches, and mission redevelopment, and you know, redeveloping churches, the book of Acts is, is sort of like one of the go-to pieces of Scripture, books in Scripture, that you look at. Because it's the foundation, the formative years, forming the church. Well, this is foundational. You know, so yes, it's amazing that... that uh, this, the conversion and Saul was blinded and Ananias was brave enough, crazy enough, whatever you want to label it. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more later um, to actually go to Saul. Um, but this notion of the church quickly embracing him is what the church is supposed to be. Like, I, sorry, it is. And, and, it, and it's hard and it's messy and it's, and it's, it's problematic both then and now. You know, I you know we talked about this as, as part of as part of your sermon. You know, would you have said yes? Like like if God taps you on the shoulders, like, hey, I need you to go to Saul. I'm like, uh, I have to wash my hair. Um, oh, I have an appointment. Oh well, you see what had happened was uh, I couldn't make it. Um, <laughs> But Ananias, so maybe there were lots of people before Ananias, we don't know, that God said, hey, I need you to go to Saul. Like, nope, kill me now. Or, you know, no, I need you, nope, not going. And maybe Ananias was the first, maybe Ananias was the first person God asked. Maybe Ananias was the hundredth person God asked. We don't know. But we know Ananias went. And as one of our parishioners says, it's probably uh, for a reason we don't know that. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's very possible. But we don't know. So let's... So let's ignore the fact that Ananias could have been one through a hundred. Who knows in, in terms of the number of people whom, whom God asked. But, but Ananias went. And it's, there, there's, there's a bravery in that. And there's a bravery in a church, church with a capital C or little c for that matter, to be brave enough to say, this isn't what we thought. You're not who we thought you were, but we recognize that God is a God of change and God is a God of transformation. And we will embrace that transform, tr the transformed you. Right. I mean, that's, there's, there's huge, beyond liturgy, beyond all the other things that we, that we cling to as church, what we really need to cling to is, is this notion of acceptance and grace. Because and... our default is skepticism. Absolutely. Our, our default is nobody changes like that, um, or they have an agenda, or you know that's that's typically our default, just because that's our experience. Yeah. So and that, and, and that I think is is the the reality too is that I think a lot of us would be like we would want to hope we could do that and trust that, but I think a lot of us have gotten burned. Yeah. Trying to trust and, here, and realizing that some people just don't change. And so it's really, really hard sometimes to believe and have faith that that change is real. So 
I'm a sports fan. I love sports. Sports is the one area in society where traditionally we've been willing to forgive. So um, my good friend Tiger Woods, who lives you know, just a Your few... Bud? Yeah, my buddy, me and, me and Tiggs, um, T. Woods. Um, I mean, he's just down the street there in Just Jupiter. down the street. A um, little more than just down the street, but from this area is, is a really amazing story of rise, fall, and sort of rise again. So I, I can't imagine you're not familiar with the Tiger Woods story, but, you know, pinnacle of his career... Um, Uber, you know, both popular and successful and, and, and quote, role model, right? Everybody looked up, nearly everybody looked, he swore a lot on the golf course, but so many people look up to Tiger Woods. Who, who doesn't? I cannot play around the golf without swearing. <laughs> maybe, but if I was as good as Tiger Woods, maybe that wouldn't be the case. Um, so, you know, his story, you know, hugely popular and such, and then had this dramatic fall, um, you know, where, you know, he wrecked his SUV. This is the first time. Wrecked his SUV, wife beats the crap out of the SUV with a golf club, and we find out that, you know, he you know, was having affairs and all kinds of things that were, that were not what we knew of, of Tiger Woods. And then suddenly, you know, his, the polish kind of was worn off. You know, but he's, he's managed to rehabilitate his image and, you know, won another master's and all those sorts of things. So, like, like, we do have this propensity to forgive in some instances. And I think the church, that, I mean, that's the heart of, of the gospel. It's the heart of the church. And yet, it's really hard. Yeah, and I'm not going to use Tiger in this example, but for me at least, Part of, you know, when you are looking for, uh, you know, going, changing your image, changing this is, this is who I am now, this is who I am kind of yeah. thing. And at least for me, there's, there's an, there is some element of repentance that typically for, you know, me to fully accept yes. is, is, is yes. necessary. And yeah. I think Paul obviously has that, that element of repentance in his life. Of of humility to some degree. I mean, it's Paul. <laughs> um, but the the recognition of you know he makes many on many occasions he references his former life and saying, "Look, I used to be this way. I used to do this, and now I do this, and this is you know how how my life has completely and utterly changed." And I think sometimes, and, and maybe I'm going off on a tangent that this isn't probably meant to go on, but I think sometimes we also are too, when we want to like sort of rehabilitate people or, or and they haven't done any of the repentance, it, it becomes hurtful to, I, I mean, I look at, um, for instance, in, in issues of, of, men who maybe are brought down to through a sexual harassment scandal and then within like less than a year they're like well why can't i rehabilitate my career blah 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 but they've done nothing in terms of a change there there has been no change in their you know behavior there's been no change in in 
what they're doing, they just think, well, enough time's passed now, I should be able to go back to what I was doing. And for me, like I said, I think that there is, I, I'm all about forgiveness and I'm all about grace, but if you want, you know, there are consequences when you do do things. Yep. And where's the where's the change? Where's the the yes, I am transformed. Paul clearly was transformed. And immediately, you know, says he goes into the synagogue and he begins preaching Jesus, which there's a transformation when, you know, he had just been breathing murderous threats. Now he's going and saying something completely different. And so you see that transformation happen. And I think that transformation is a huge part of how we are able to extend the grace and the forgiveness. So that becomes for me that pivotal point of where's the change? Where's the change that that is going to be something that gets lived out, is going to be something that is that is seen amongst the community and the people. So again, my I come back to Ananias, who does not know what kind of change he is going to be facing with, with this guy. And so that leap that he has to take to trust that what God told him is obviously going to be true and that this is something that's really important, he has not had the opportunity yet to see the changed Saul into Paul. And but, he goes. Yeah, and so here's, here's another, another piece of that story. That I think makes makes that conversion part maybe easier. So Saul's rolling around, you know, uh, on his way to Damascus, persecuting Christians, and then Jesus shows up and blinds him. And then one of Jesus' followers comes and restores his sight. So there's this there's this dramatic. There's this dramatic moment where Saul loses something very, very tangible. Um, you know, th so this minor example. So this week in worship, you know, I wore my glasses for the first time um, because we didn't have the screens because of the wonderful lightning. And so it, it's that change. It's that, oh my, like, I didn't used to have to wear glasses. I didn't have to like stretch my arm out as far as I could to read. Um, so, so that's that's just a, just a glimpse into you know what it's like to lose your eyesight. So I will say this week y'all looked really blurry in the pews. Um, but you could read. I could read. I could read the paper with my glasses on, but like I could see like I could I could tell who y'all were, but y'all were really blurry this weekend. So you know take that and and magnify it or <laughs> multiply it out where you know you can't see it all. That's a dramatic portion. That's a dramatic event, um, and and traumatic in in Saul's case, um, and yeah, then it makes him very vulnerable then right, as well. Right, which I think we all need to be more vulnerable. And then and then you take it on top of that, and then it's restored, and it's kind of a reminder of of the of the divine power um, to both give and take away. And I think maybe in Maybe in that instance, because of the, the sensationalism of it, maybe that makes it a little easier to, 
to very have, dramatic to events, have yeah. that dramatic dramatic um conversion and i think you know we're also really skeptical so again we see it most often we're most familiar with it from famous people right because it ends up all over the news like if like if mary smith um from sheboygan or Oshkosh, that's a place, right? Yes, it is. Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Like if she has this, 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 this transformation, maybe the folks in Wisconsin know about it, maybe, but probably not. But when it's, when it's someone famous, it all plays out in front of us because it all plays out in front of us. So, it has, so there has to be that, that dramatic piece. Otherwise, I think we're really skeptical. Like, oh, yeah, so, again, another person, another athlete that came to mind, Michael Vick. Michael Vick convicted of, of, the, of the, you know, the dogfighting ring and horrific, served, served prison time, came out, educated himself, and now is actually a spokesperson for the SPCA. Um, again, not just saying, really sorry, um, I shouldn't have done that, blah, 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 but said, okay, I this is what I did, and this is what I learned, and this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, took, um, took some kind of action as right. a part of the, the repentance process. Yeah, and I think, yeah. I think we, we also have to be really careful um, all the time with you know, how we judge, but we also have to understand that not every, we don't all come from the same place. Um, you know, and in some cultures, like, if, so me growing up, a dog was a pet. But that's not the case for in every culture, in every home. So again, I'm not giving him a pass because it was horrific. But I, th I think we have to have a level, a level of understanding that we don't all come from the same base. And Or so, things that were acceptable a long time ago right, or no exactly. longer acceptable, et cetera, et cetera. That culture has changed. And culturally, the, yeah. you know, different cultures respond differently. You know, it's, it's one of the things that, you know, watching the Olympics that I really appreciate is you see how different cultures react in different situations. I was watching, yesterday's my day off, I got, I got caught up in mixed doubles table tennis. Fascinating. So China, like, has won, like, every freaking... Otherwise round. known as ping pong. Yes, yes. <laughs> and the, the team from Japan beat the team from China. But what's, what was fascinating, the culture of that sport is, so, so if you hit the ball and it skims the edge of the table, that, that's in. It's counted as in. But what happens in a match when they do that, they apologize for it. Like, they're like, I recognize that that was kind of, that, that I kind of lucked out by like a mill of less than a millimeter and the ball just skimmed the edge and I apologize. Like... Now, in my, in my ping pong table tennis uh, vernacular, that's a point, man. And I'm going to celebrate that point. But you're like, oh, sorry. That was kind of like not cool. It's just, so, I mean, culturally, among sports and cultures, things are different. We have to understand, you know, so Saul didn't grow up as a Christian. Saul grew up with the understanding that Christianity was a bad thing. So again, not well, well. To be fair, it was new enough that I don't know that he really quote grew up with it too much. Correct, but he, but, but, but in yes. in his in his culture, in his upbringing, in his sphere, it was not something that was celebrated or lauded. 
right? Correct. So it he, was new and it was different and it was scary. Right. So he was pushing back against it. He was trying to eliminate it, trying to eliminate the threat. And in fairness, you know, wow, do I want to make that analogy? Oh, I, I know what you're going to try to do. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't. But so, so we, we, we all often try and protect our, let's say our home, whatever we want to consider our home. And we push back against that and not always in good ways. And in this case, Jesus intervenes and says, wait a minute, this is not okay. Well, again, it's that issue that, you know, we have talked about before about change and, and the, the, the unfamiliar, the things we don't understand necessarily um, are scary to us. And we have this just innate tendency to push back against it. Um, and because it, it's unfamiliar, it is something we don't, especially if we don't understand it. Yeah. And, and when we don't understand something, we become, I think, fearful of it. And when you're fearful of something, what's your response? Well, get rid of it. It's either run or fight. Make it, yeah. yeah. Fight, or fight. Fight, or, fight or flight. Fight or flight. And in, in Saul's case, it was, I'm going to fight it. I'm, I'm Hard. Gonna, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eliminate this because this is a danger. This is a, this is a problem. This is a threat to my way of life. This is a threat to my religion. This is a threat to everything I have known. I mean, let's face it. Um, Saul was, I believe, you know, he, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees, I think is what he calls himself uh, in, in one of his letters. And which means, and he was probably at some point, even maybe a member of the Sanhedrin. Um, he definitely had the authority of, of the council in, in Jerusalem to be going and doing what he was doing in terms of uh, hunting down Christians. And he, he was, uh, as he put it, you know, he's a, he's a Jew among Jews. And so he had worked really hard to get where he's at. His whole life is invested in what he's doing. And then here comes this group, this kind of subgroup, that's preaching and teaching something that rails against some of the the dogma that he's been taught and it, it, it it's hard because as far as he's concerned you know he, he's a very orthodox kind of you know religious person he's 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 doing what has been passed down to him from tradition and clings to that and it is very very important to him obviously yeah. so when he sees something that can potentially change that can threaten that i'm going to get rid of it because the last thing we need is this kind of subversive stuff running around in our congregations and the synagogues and and um, stirring up trouble i'm going to go get rid of it and I think we can maybe all identify with more modern <clears throat> things that happen in terms of when we have a lot of those things that we, we have always been raised with, um, grown up with, have known our whole lives, and even have invested very deeply into um, in terms of our identity, in terms of how we have always viewed uh, our, our faith, are who we are in that faith, 
who we are in society, et cetera, et cetera. And to have all of that challenged and upended, it doesn't happen easily. I mean, sometimes you need the blinding light on the road to Damascus to get your attention and say, hey, I get it's tough. And hearing a different perspective, a different way of being can be hard. And so, I mean, I think there's a symbolicness as well to the blinding of, of, of it's, you're, you're taking something away, you're being, right. you know, your, your sight goes away and you have to see the world in a new way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I recognize, and I, I think, I think scripture kind of glosses over that, that, that part of it for Saul kind of glosses over the challenge of it. Um, I mean, it's just a great sensational story. So yeah, you know, yeah. I, but I think if you dig a little deeper, there had there has there has to be a challenge there, right? Um, and and may, maybe not. I mean, maybe maybe that that huge divine moment eliminates some of or all of the doubts, all fears. of the doubts, all of the fears, and says, okay, so yeah, this is hard. Yes. Um, I know I used to be on Team No Jesus. Um, and now I'm on Team Jesus. And now I'm on Team Jesus. Like, that's a huge, that's a huge thing. And I think for most of us, our shifts that we make are rarely that sudden. Well, so, so I, think, I think we also, we see this in the church though, right? So I think we, you know, people who are new to the faith, people who didn't grow up in the church, they have a different level of appreciation for church. And it's not to say that if you've been a lifelong Christian and a lifelong church member that you don't appreciate the church. Please it's don't hear that. It's just different. But there's a different expression. There's a different, there's a different um, perspective. Perspective, yeah, on church when you didn't grow up with it, you didn't, you're steeped in, your, in the faith, I think you, you view church differently, you view your faith differently, you view what's important differently. So, And you take certain things for granted when you've grown up in it. Yes. That you just assume everybody knows and everybody understands and you get really confused when other people are like, um, so I've, I've never yet, heard of this. I've yet to have someone who didn't grow up in the church complain about like a, a liturgy change or a song change, or something along those lines. And it's not to say that we don't hear those things, and not to say that they're not important, because you know we have we 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 all have feelings and are attached to different things, and different things mean different different things resonate differently with different people. My point is, there's just a different there's a difference in in what resonates and what doesn't with church with people who grew up in the church and people who are newly churched and it's just an interesting dynamic and difference between the two again not to not to minimize you know people who have been in the church for their entire lives and not to minimize what they want in worship um, but there but there is a distinct difference um, between the two 
that I find interesting. Well, and you know, due to our lightning strike, my sermon was not recorded either, thankfully or regretfully, depending on how you viewed it. Um, <laughs> as I approached the sermon, one of the things I realized was there is not, for me, there was not, if I had chosen to go down the path of, of preaching more from Paul's perspective, I don't know that it would have been any more well-received than the love your enemies um, side of it. Because, again, from Paul's side of it, we're doing this theme of unraveling. You know, what's unraveling? And it's, it's basically his entire life is unraveling. And everything he's ever known is unraveling. And that I don't think people really appreciate necessarily. And yet when they recognize in their own lives, their own faith or whatever, when they're challenged by things that might unravel the, the perceptions that they have always held, um, you know, someone was, was, I occasionally get, you know, people who aren't always real happy when we're not just saying, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you all the time. Um, right. We actually turn around and say, yes, God loves you, and you need to love in return. And it's that second part that they aren't always embracing um, quite as well because they don't feel that's the gospel to them. They don't feel that that's, you know, they're the good news that the, there's a role to play, as you called it last right. week. It's you know Christianity isn't a spectator sport. Yep. Um, that there is a role we play. Um, that our salvation, yes, is taken care of, but that doesn't mean that as Christians we just sit back and do nothing. And so I think the, the whole notion of anything that 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 has to unravel. Um, in our in our faith in our lives is scary for people, and it becomes a less quote church becomes a less safe space for them um, in terms right. of when you get challenged. And you know, so I was looking at there there isn't a sermon here that isn't going to challenge if I feel I'm being faithful to what the story is about. Right, and um, and I I think I think as church we need to embrace challenge. Um, because it it's helpful. It, it's how is how we grow. That doesn't mean you always have to agree. Um, right, 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 right. You know, and be like, yeah, I don't know if that's really how I I understand that or or whatever. That doesn't mean you know you have to accept a hundred percent whatever the pastor says. <sighs> Unfortunately, um, <laughs> but at the same time, to to listen to it. In, in a way that it does challenge you and makes you think about it. And um, if, if I were not challenged, I mean, I look at how my, my faith journey, like I said, for, for Paul, his, his transformation is rapid. You know, it, it's a, you know, it's a boom, you're blinded, you know, and, and within days he's, you know, in the synagogue now suddenly preaching whatever. I, I can say in my own faith journey, such transformations have taken considerably longer. Um, it has taken, you know, people presenting things that have challenged me, and I have to chew on them for a while. I have to think about them for a while. Um, I had a seminary professor who, like, said something one time that I had a very visceral reaction to, 
um, in terms of what, what they said. And I was like, this can't be, this is not right. It took me nine months to, you know, not to bring up birthing analogies, but to gestate, <laughs> you know, to, to, took actual nine months for me to really, really sit and chew on what they had said. And at, finally, after about nine months, I was kind of like, oh, wait a minute. This is how this is good news to people in these situations. It maybe didn't sound like good news to me because it meant me losing something I valued. Right. And, but what it, it finally transformed into for me was recognizing that for somebody else, Losing that was a good thing. Seminary is really hard. And, oh, and, not, and I don't mean hard like academically. No. Um, some classes more than others. But seminary is hard because it does challenge you to look deeper into scripture and not read just from the surface and challenges your some preconceived notions and challenges. Um, Lots of things. <laughs> they always told us uh, when we when we got into seminary that seminary was going to tear your faith down so they could build it back up. Yeah. And it was a hard process. It was. It was. I remember, and I've shared this before. You know, we had we had a a place on campus where everybody had lunch, um, the, the refectory, um, and we we go to lunch and we're going. It was always buffet style. Um, Man, those ladies could make some good food. I'm getting hungry. Um, tacos today. Yes, Taco Tuesday. But we we go through the line. I remember being in line with, and th the beauty of it was it wasn't just students. It was students and faculty, and you'd get lunch. You know, you'd go through the lines together, and then you'd sit at tables together, and so you really got to know your faculty. At least this was my experience in in, in Gettysburg. I don't know if that was the same with you at Luther. And I remember sitting with, you know, going through the line with my, with my New Testament, one of my New Testament professors, Dr. Mark Vitale-Puffman. Um, and he, had, he said, how are you doing? I said, I hate it. I hate this. Like, this is hard. Like, I don't, I didn't, I didn't expect these challenges. I didn't expect, you know, to, to have to struggle like this with the pieces of scripture I thought I already knew. I knew there was a lot I didn't know. I didn't think I'd have to struggle with the stuff that I thought I already knew. And he just kind of laughed. And Yeah, you um, go in thinking you're going to get just more information, more on yes, building on top of what yes. you already have. You don't realize you're going to have to tear down what you've yes. already. Well, and, and, the, th and the, you know, the thing is, you don't actually get a course on every book of the Bible. You know, there's books of the Bible that you go, oh yeah, that's part of Scripture. The pastoral epistles, right? Like, like, oh, uh, I, I mean, that's a book in the yes, yes, that is a book in a, the Bible. A class on James or right. Jude. But you get, you know, what you get is okay. So we're not going to go through every book, but we're going to give you a foundation um, for the books we don't cover that you're still able to, you know, sort of go through the exegesis process and 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 boil it down to to what you need. Um, but it's, it's a struggle. And in some ways, I wish everyone had that struggle 
because it is really, really transformative. And yet I also glad that not everybody goes, has, through, that. goes through that struggle. Um, because again, it is, it is just that. It's a struggle because this isn't, scripture is not easy. It's not meant to be easy. So if you feel, if you feel challenged, don't take that personally. And I think that's what that's one of the thing one of the things I didn't expect coming out of seminary was for people to take being challenged by scripture so incredibly personally. Like yeah, like we're personally attacking whatever yeah. their perspective or view is and it's like, well no, that's not that's not what we're doing. Yeah. It's not hey, I'm going to write this sermon so that, so uh but this person in so, mind so Susie has a sermon cuz Susie needs to change. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's a process of going through scripture and, you know, I, my, my first year of seminary, I cried a lot and went, what have I done? I, I mean, I really did. It was just, it was, I was like, what have I done? I have upended my life. I have left a career behind. I have, I, I sold my house and I'm living in this little kind of, you know, seminary ghetto apartment and, you know, what have I done? What have I done? Um, because, so my very first, I don't know if I should share this story or not, but my first day of seminary, first class, first day, the instructor walks in, closes the door, and the first words out of his mouth were, don't go looking for Noah's Ark, you won't find it, it never happened. And I wanted to throw things. Right. Again, that's the... I, so I don't know about you. I went into scripture, or I went into seminary without like a huge knowledge of scripture. Because I had spent a lot of years not going to church. So I went in without like a huge, huge depth of scriptural knowledge. And I thought, well, I'm going to go to seminary. And I knew Noah's Ark. I knew about the Exodus. I knew, you know, you about, the basics. I knew Jesus, you know, I knew those stories. I thought I'm going to go to seminary and I'm going to get all those gaps filled in. And that's not what happened. A similar experience, not the same verbiage, but you want to go, oh, wait a minute. The things that I thought I knew, maybe I, maybe I don't know. Yeah. And, and it's really hard. And, 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 but I think if we, if we can, if we can carry that lesson into everything, go, maybe I don't have all the information. And, and at the time when that happened, my response was, of course, very negative. And I immediately was like, what the heck are they trying to teach us here? You know, this is, this is terrible. This is awful. This is really bad. Blah, 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 blah. But, oh, yeah, it's scripture. And... Well, but, you know, to me, they, what they were, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was telling us scripture wasn't true. That, that, was, that was where my problem lay in right. that was, was that I thought, well... Uh, what do you mean? Looking back now, I understand what he was doing. Um, and whether he personally actually believed what he said, I don't, you know, he probably did, I don't know. Uh, but what he was trying to do was was to push us into that space of how to look at Scripture through very different perspectives and lenses and understandings. And, you know, the conclusion I came to was, you know, the, the historical accuracy of Noah's Ark really isn't as important as what this story actually means and, and stands for and, and what it, 
what lessons we can take from it and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, it, it just, it was a really, really hard moment though. And I had a lot of those hard moments. Yeah. And, but I, I feel like I transformed and came out the other end, um, actually with my faith much deeper, believe it or not. Which kind of sounds like Saul. Go, go in, go. are blinded. Again, I think we were both kind of blindsided. Blindsided. By, blindsided by pieces of, by parts of seminary. And in the end came out with eyes more open and transformed. And, and like I said, and for me at least, it's a much deeper understanding now and, and, and a way in which we are able to infuse scripture and its meaning into our everyday lives as opposed to aren't these nice stories, yeah. you know, kind of thing. And yeah. so it is, it, it really did elevate it. But anyway, all right, I think we probably are getting a little off track and, and whatnot. So let's go ahead and just sort of wrap up um, this, this lovely transformative story of, of all kinds of unravelings going on, unraveling perceptions, unraveling hatreds, um, unraveling fears unraveling um, lives and yep. and even unraveling your understanding of faith. Yep. I mean, because that's what happens with with Paul. Well, and, there, and this coming week, we get a little more of that um, with the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. I do not like John's gospel, um, but this is one of the stories in John's gospel, which I really, really, really enjoy. Um, the story of Samar the Samaritan woman at the well. So I'm excited for this weekend. Yeah, we, we um, look forward to hearing that sermon and then talking about it this time next week. Sounds good. So join us for that next time. See you later. Bye.